Welcome to the Gritty Leaders podcast. Today, we're very fortunate to have Dom Gaynor, CEO of Team Sport Karting, on the pod. Team Sport have been around for 30 years, with Dom as director, then CEO, for the last 20. During that time, the business has grown from a handful of tracks in the south of England to an international leisure business, with 35 tracks in the UK, two in Germany, and one now being built in Utrecht in Holland. So without further ado, let's hear from Dom and understand what it takes to scale a business successfully. So Dom, you've been in team sports since 2002. You became CEO in 2013. It's a very different place from where you started. Looking back now, what would you say the key ingredients are to growing a successful business? There has to be a great idea. However well run a business becomes, if, if, if fundamentally you're not you know, ad- addressing a need or, or you haven't got a compelling way of uh, you know, m- creating a solution to a problem for people, uh, you know, you, you, you're not going to ever be able to kind of scale up and grow that business. So th- there has to be a great idea or a great product or something at the start. After that, and it would be, it's always easy to sugarcoat these things. Like there's a lot of hard work. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it really is. And, and you've got to enjoy the climb. You've got to really want to do it, be passionate about it and, and want to put in the, the hard work that's required to, to grow and, and, and scale up a, a business. I think there's also kind of looking back, there's, there are various kind of stages in the growth of a business, which are kind of inflection points where you have to recognize what type of leader do you need to become for the next stage of the evolution of the business? And therefore, what, what level of detail is it appropriate for you to hold on to? And what do you have to let go? And there are definitely times where it requires you to bring your f- fresh talent into the business in order to take it on and, and, and drive it forward. You know, I've, I've always been a believer in that you, you really need to be at certain stages finding people that can do that role or that or run that part of the business far better than you could and then if you get those people they are going to want accountability and responsibility for kind of for doing that and and therefore you've you've got to get out of their way because otherwise you just become this bottleneck you become a bottleneck to growth and if 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 every if everybody in the business keeps coming and asking their questions for you to answer because they know you know all the answers then you you just stifle that growth Good people will leave because they'll feel micromanaged. Therefore, they they haven't got the, the authority to take things on. You liken it to kind of becoming the the conductor of the orchestra, as opposed to being the front man of a of a band. And I think that's really kind of the the journey. If, if you're going to grow a business and you're going to scale it up, particularly if you're going to grow it up fast, you've got to avoid becoming that bottleneck. So you said a great idea, and I love that. Simple ideas, great ideas, something that you're going to start a business from. When did this great idea, where did it come from? Was it there already? Was it you bringing this great idea, this this idea to, to scale this business? It's obviously changed. It's morphed over the years. What's what's the great idea at the heart of team sport? Fundamentally, I think that the, the great idea was around a, a really super fun leisure experience that, that, that people can come and enjoy with no previous experience, relatively low cost. You certainly don't need your helmets and race suits and to buy your own go-kart or whatever that might be, which prior to the leisure karting industry starting in the kind of late 80s, early 90s, that was 
that was the only route available to people if they wanted to kind of experience the entry level motorsport. So that that was the great idea. And that that initial great idea was not my idea. I came into the business when the business had already been established for, for 10 years. And it started with a site in, in Guildford in 1992. And that great idea was Paul's. Paul Reitman, who was the founder of the business, he was in, you know, working in IT for, for an IT company, running a department. And he brought his team to a site in West London and realised he paid at that time a lot of money for, a, for 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 an experience for his for his team, and went in and saw a kind of a a big warehouse, a few tires thrown around to kind of show the track layout, and thought, God blimey, I think I could do this, and and yeah, quit his job and and started the first site. So he was the the original idea, the original entrepreneur was was certainly Paul. I came into the business, you know, ten years in when. Paul had successfully grown it to three sites, but it was at that stage, it was struggling a little bit. And then we worked together really hard for the next kind of 10 years to reinvest in the sites and work out the the kind of the secret sauce, if you like, as to what could make this a really compelling offering and move it away from kind of enthusiasts towards a broader leisure offering. And we, we did we did lots and lots of things in the early days around kind of we, we, we rebranded the business we we changed sales and marketing processes we launched the company's first website believe it or not because before 2002 there wasn't a website um and um so there was there were lots and lots of things that we changed in order to get the existing sites much more profitable much more successful and kind of work that template out as to how we could then roll it out and then yeah and then from kind of 2008 we started opening new venues until kind of 2012 when Paul had then been in the business for 20 years and decided, look, that was the right time for him to step backwards. And then I, I went out and, and got external investment to you know, scale up the business uh, from there. So the the external investment, I'm sure a lot of listeners are going to be fascinated by the dynamics of that, of changing from something where there was you and Paul there and immediately people listening will say well having all that money must be great you've got more choices but then you've got probably more more pressures what's the dynamics like having external investors and you've had them now since 2013 so you've had them um 10 years what's what's the dynamics like of having external investors in the business my experience has been hugely positive the first thing is that you know, I said it. It was a one a one sentence. I just went out and got external investment. It was actually a kind of a pretty grueling six or nine month process, and there were lots of people who kind of just you know, laughed when I kind of said I've got a concept to roll out a go karting business, and you know, they just you know, it was not necessarily the uh, the easiest thing to do, but managed to do it. We got some got some bank support as well. You've got to make sure that you pick the right partner. Um, which is which is true in life generally, um, but certainly in business, you 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 must take the time to to the extent that you can really get to know the, the people on the other side of the table. Do your due diligence into them, their experiences, other businesses they've backed. Speak to other owners of businesses. You know, everybody will always give you the references of the people they'd like you to speak to. It's a, go and do your own digging and find you know, other people because you often. The strength of a relationship of a partnership is only really tested when things start to go off plan. And again, you're looking back and you know, over the over the last ten years, it, it has not gone to plan. 
Like the, the one, the one certainty is there is not like this beautiful smooth line of growth that does you know, ends up exactly as you you said it will do. COVID lockdowns are one beautiful example of that. But you must you know, pick the right partner. And you've also got to be really, really clear that if you are getting you know, external investment in giving equity away in the business, you, you, you're you're no longer the the sole decision maker. And you have to be really, really clear on on that and and get comfortable because that is a change in dynamic of the business. You know, for us, prior to 2013, board meetings were Paul and I sitting down and having a coffee. You know, when we looked at you know, new sites that we were gonna we were gonna do, that the there certainly wasn't hugely detailed demographic surveys done and all sorts of other things that we we've subsequently learned as a business to do. So I think you've, you you've got to be really clear that 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 it is going to require the business to grow up in very many ways but actually those disciplines and practices that you know external investment bring to a business the experience that non-exec directors a chairman and you know can 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 bring and 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 help you with as well is is hugely valuable and i think if you go into it with with your eyes wide open understanding that these new structures and processes and things that that are going to be required are extremely helpful in getting a business to grow up and look at things differently. Do you think it's made you a better CEO? Yeah, certainly. I mean, a better leader in general. I've got a much broader experience of you know, how to think about your businesses because you know when you're sitting around the board table and, and everybody's got a different lens that they look at things through, different experiences, different background, you end up with much better decisions as a result of, of, of having those conversations and you, you learn. That's an attitude thing. If you're, are you prepared to kind of have this constant, you know, learning and 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 redevelopment mindset as you go through? And I think if you are, then it, it can be you know, hugely beneficial. You know, we 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 would not be the business you know, we are today with thirty five sites across the UK now, two sites in Germany. We're we're on site building and our first site in Holland right now. You know, that that simply wouldn't have happened without external investment. Paul and I kind of bootstrapping it, putting money on credit cards and 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 borrowing from friends, family and, and other things. You know, we were opening one site every couple of years. At our height, we opened seven sites in one year. You just can't do that. Um, or we couldn't do that out of out of cash flow. You mentioned that growing a company isn't a lovely linear process and that you have this lovely vision of where you'll be and then you get there. There's challenges along the way. And you mentioned COVID, which is obviously was massive for everyone. What have the main challenges been? I mean, obviously there's COVID. What what other big challenges have you been hit with over the years that have that you've got through and kind of I suppose brought out your resilience, brought out the resilience of the team, allowed you to, as you say, you learn about the team, you learn about your investors, you learn about yourself when the challenges come forward. What, what have they been and how have the team responded? How have you responded to those things? I mean, there's, there's so many things that um, you know, haven't, haven't necessarily gone you know, strictly according to plan. I guess I should, I should caveat that by saying that kind of we've exceeded plans. It hasn't been that kind of things have gone off plan in a bad way. Often we've had you know, more opportunities. Things have uh, have gone better. Decisions we've made have, have resulted in in much better outcomes than perhaps we anticipated. Equally, some things haven't gone so well. I mean, I, I guess there was one which was very early on and speaks to the point about making sure that you, you, you've you've got the right the right partner. So. 2013, as as part of that original management buyout I led, we had a pipeline of four sites 
that we were looking at that were at various stages of kind of site identification, your heads of terms in agreement, planning applications submitted, you know, whatever else that might be. Within the first three months of completing on that investment, all four sites fell over um, for various different reasons. So we were then you know, looking at a, a, a pretty challenged empty barrel of, you know, of of pipeline in terms of the growth because you know i'd part of the the story that I'd, I'd, I'd sold was about we can now scale this business up and we can grow quickly and that's what we need the investment for and my pipeline got wiped out that was a pretty sticky situation but you know, to, to their credit you know our investors you know, didn't put undue pressure on. I'm sure they weren't particularly happy that, that the fact that this pipeline had had disappeared. But as a board, we, we sat down, we talked about things, and we identified actually, you know, because it takes 12 to 18 months to from initial site identification to actually getting something open for a brand new new site, which most of you know, all of our sites to that stage had been new build. The, the remedy here was to go out and try and acquire existing sites. Which is what we did, and and during the course of that year, we did three acquisitions of existing sites that we rebadged, reinvested in, and, and turned into team sport venues. Yeah, and, and that was you know our, our new chairman at the time. He talked about in, in his experience how he'd done that you know, very successfully with gyms, and so so our strategy moved from a kind of a a, you know, a a new site build from scratch to actually let's go out, let's let's talk to. You know, existing operators within our market and identify potential acquisition targets of which you know, we, we found we found quite a few and you know, since then we've grown both by acquisition and by new build and that hybrid model is may not have been developed in in, in the way it was had it not been for our, that loss of pipeline in the in, in the early days that's a nice learning experience as well as and it's it's also reinforced what you said about people bringing different viewpoints and experiences to the table the investors you've had right i'd like to sort of switch it a little bit it will actually take into account kind of the covid experience but i'd like to talk a bit about culture because you've got over a thousand people i know during covid you had to close all your tracks but you kept the the vast majority of those people i've seen in team sport a very special culture but tell me more about that how has it grown how has it developed what are the sort of background you've had that you've brought to that culture that those values you've had that you've invested in and, and and pushed through and grown in the people there around you and how has that helped to keep people to motivate people you know tell us a bit about that so i think the, the first thing i think is that kind of whilst you know i'm sure that you know, my my personal you know, values have, have, have influenced you know, the business the values in in the business and the culture of the business are not and were not kind of dictated by me we went through a, a, a process of, and, and this was actually done in in 2013, right after we got the external investment of articulating, writing down for the first time, a set of values for the business and trying to define and understand what the culture of team sport was. And, and the way we did that is we we went out to all the people in the business at the time and we asked them, we, we asked them, look, what is it that's special and unique about team sport? What do you love about it? What makes you, you know, stay here and be so committed and loyal to the business and all those, that, that, that kind of stuff. And we got, we, we went really deep into the business to, to understand that. The reason for doing that was I, 
I wanted to make sure that with with Paul, the original founder, you're stepping out of the business at that time and also external investors coming in. And you do hear all sorts of nightmares about how cultures of businesses change when the external investors come in, all that kind of stuff. I wanted to make sure that we protected the, 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 the values and the culture of, of the business. And in order to do that, you've got to understand what they are and articulate them. So that's what we did. And we went through this, this, this great process, series of different workshops and refining things down. And we came up with these five core values for our business that were, yeah, effectively they were emergent from the business. Kind of a remarkable thing happened that once these were you know, edited and wordsmithed so that they were memorable and, and you know, people, you know, there, was, there was kind of nodding agreement that, yeah, that, do you know what, that really does capture what team sport's about, you know, to me as an individual. And, yeah, they've stood the taste of time. There's been absolutely no no edit whatsoever. Nothing has changed at all over 10 years now in those values. And yeah, despite we've had lots of different plans and our, our, our mission has changed over time and everything else, and it, however hard you work on those things, it's it has you know, not always has it been the case that I've gone and asked somebody else, did you know your role in the, in the current mission? And you sometimes get you know, somebody else getting, getting half of it right. Yeah, that kind of thing. I can guarantee you that, Everybody in in team sport knows the five values. That's lovely, isn't it? It's, it's uh, it, values that stand the test of time show how well they were put together in the first place. And 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 I think you're you're absolutely right. It's lovely when people say, "Yeah, I can resonate with those." And I always think with values, you know, when you've got them right at the beginning, because you look at them and say, "Yeah, they're ours," and you know pretty much if they're not. I'd, I'd like to shift it again slightly and ask you, as a CEO of a business and as a leader in a business, actually, look at any of your leadership team in the same vein, really, there's nothing to stop you apart from your sanity and your marriage um, working every hour there is. So how do you manage the balance running what is quite a sizable SME now across multiple geographies all over the UK uh, in terms of where it is over the UK and all the all the aspects to it, what what advice would you give leaders on keeping yourself grounded, leading a balanced life, and still running a successful business? It's hard, and I think that you know, I guess the first thing is people people shouldn't beat themselves up if they think that they're not getting it right because <laughs> it is it's human it's it's human nature that you, people often leave themselves to the bottom of the, the the queue when it comes to you know investment of of time and and energy for, for me i think this this whole thing all really comes back to purpose and your per- personal purpose and i guess if your personal vision is 100 percent about the business and actually nothing else really matters in your life other, other than the business and you're prepared to compromise and at the expense of all other things the, the, the business is the most important to you then yeah there is nothing stopping you spending every waking hour on the business and I think a lot of people do and and there are you know obviously I'm not going to name names there's lots of famous examples of of hugely successful business leaders if you measure them by the size and, and profitability of their business that are on their fourth marriage um that have no relationship with you know some of the kids that they had in the in the, in, in the early marriages and you know, don't seemingly have any other interests outside of the business if that is your raison d'etre then okay then spend all your time working on the business i think for me i was quite clear reasonably early on that my kind of personal vision really was all about creating opportunities for 
my family to flourish in whatever their individual um, you know, thing that they wanted to achieve was. So th- it was really about all of us. And I kind of realized that I couldn't help me or any of the rest of my family achieve their um, own individual goals and, and things that they wanted to do if, if I was either never never there you're constantly distracted and not not the best version of myself when I was there so and that then comes back to the kind of putting yourself at the back of the queue thing you know I, I've I've learned and it's not always been easy and I'm often reminded by my wife when I don't get it right that I can only be the best version of me if I invest time in myself as well and for me, that's about kind of you know, prioritizing exercise and making sure I'm eating healthily. And I, and I and I block out time in my diary to spend quality time with all of my kids. And, and, and Jojo and I have you know regular time for us and date nights and whatever else that looks like. And I think it's it's really learning to get over the guilt of, of putting other stuff in your diary that isn't necessarily strictly work related in, in order to be the best version of you at work as well. I fundamentally don't believe that if people have worked 70 hours a week, that for the next five hours they work that week, they're going to be the best version of themselves. I just don't, I just don't believe that's the case. So I think there, yeah, there has to be a recognition. And I think people are getting better at this generally, that you've got to work on yourself first in order to, to show up in whatever environment that is being the best version of you. You mentioned earlier that team sport are a leisure business. Now, when you started back in, you know, 2002, it would be fair to say you're a, you're an indoor go-karting business. Tell me more about what being a leisure business means. Yeah, this is this has been something that, again, has d- developed over time, in in some part due to changing habits for for consumers about how they choose to spend their leisure time and and and, and what what they want what they want to do, and that's actually something that really has accelerated as a result of COVID over the last few years in particular and the, and the, and the memory of those you know, terrible lockdowns and you know, not being able to go out and celebrate birthdays and see friends and family and, 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 and all those kind of things. But yeah, you're right. We started off being completely a karting business. You could, you could kind of get a drink out of a vending machine at a team sport track in the, in, in the nineties and early two thousands, but there certainly wasn't much else other than the karting experience to do. And what we've seen is that yeah, there's there's definitely been a, a trend towards premiumization, and that's really what Paul and I identified pretty early on, and, and we did was was taking what had always been a a, a brilliant core experience. Yeah, I've always said to everybody in, in in the business like we have a we have a grossly unfair advantage when it comes to anything else that you can do as a, 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 as a leisure experience because sitting in a go kart and racing around the track against your friends is it's just better than anything else but what we recognize is that 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 amazing experience it's not enough in and of itself and what you have to do is actually broaden that experience so that it comes with really really good quality facilities great bar areas great changing rooms great hospitality brilliant crew who make that experience memorable and work really hard on doing that and also, you know, how you can make it so that, it, that that there's a bigger perception of value for money. So you have a great food and beverage offering with it. And, and what we've been doing is putting other other leisure experiences in alongside karting so that people 
can experience more than just the karting when they come. So we've got sim racing in venues. We've got indoor mini golf. We have VR experiences, laser tag, duck pin bowling is a new thing that we've put into a couple of um, venues, which is a really cool kind of shorter version of 10 pin bowling on 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 a smaller lane. A bit like a modern version of what you used to have in the back of the local pub with the skittle alley, but a but a much better version of that. And there's you know, interactive darts. So there's all these brilliant experiences that are out there now that we've 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 recognised. Well, we can put that in alongside that. It means that the that, that a customer can come to a team sport venue now for a half day, and yes, they they'll do karting, but there's there's a bunch of other ancillary leisure activities that they could choose to do and if you're going to be there for that long you're more likely to have some food and beverage and then overall that memory of that experience the perception of value is that much greater so we you're right we, we really have morphed and changed from something that was 95 percent of the revenue of the business was just carting related to something that is a, is a much broader leisure offering mm. and picking up on the carting and how that sort of sits at the heart of what you do, and I guess still probably sits at the heart of what you do as a core offering. Some people could look at that and say, karting, I know when I first went karting, and I think I went to that Guildford track in the 90s, you know, it was a little bit dangerous. It was a bit smelly. It was a bit oily. The smell smell in the, in the, in the, in the shed, as it was probably, the smell, I can still remember it to this day, you know, and I think there could be a perception out there that karting is a bit old school, a bit internal combustion engine. You know, what about the environment? Now, I know the truth is that you've done a huge amount, but perhaps you could tell us a little bit about what team sport have been doing around environmental policies and ESG and carbon footprint and things like that and, and what the future holds for you in that respect. Yes, yeah, so, um, look, well, your your memory is probably pretty accurate ian um in terms of um what karting was in the in in the kind of early mid 1990s and and it is yeah v- vastly different certainly in uh, uh, team sport venues to that today yeah that 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 has been what we've worked really hard to try and change that perception that people had you know having come and experienced a yeah that yeah the early the early days of the of, of the industry if if you like you, the, the things that we've been working on you know, are you know, really, really considerable and, and, and broad. We we were the first to put lithium-ion powered electric carts in in the UK. Our first track that actually w- was in 2010, and we were right at the at, at the forefront of that. And we will be if you know, 50% of team sport venues will be fully electric by the end of this year, and we've got an ambitious plan to to, to convert all team sport venues to be fully electric by the end of 2026 for the last few years um i think it was back in 2019 that we opened our last petrol driven track so all new tracks have been electric for for for, for a number of years already but that conversion process to being kind of fully electric is, is is well underway particularly good for the business because actually my belief is it's a better product as well so not only is there the, the, the environmental win, but it's a it, it, cleaner air, there's less noise, no smell, and therefore it's, it's, it's definitely a much more inclusive, less intimidating product. You also have the benefit of instant torque from the electric motor. So you know, for an indoor experience where you know, there are lots of corners and, and, and it's you know, as opposed to big, long straights, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fantastic kind of experience. That reinvestment in the core product, the electrification of the core product has, has been 
it really at the heart of what we're doing strategically. We've committed to buying only renewable energy for the last three, four years. We have no you know, single-use plastics in any of our venues. Everything's kind of glass or you know, recycled aluminium. We've moved away from printing out lap times and giving them to people to developing an app where people can have their lap times themselves and and you know you believe me if you've got you know, nearly two million customers each of whom you're giving a, a sheet two sheets of paper to for their you know usually for their two sessions that they do with their lap times on that was that was a significant amount of paper that was being consumed by the business kind of needlessly so there's 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 lots and lots of areas that we've been working really really hard on and and most most recently it's been around reducing consumption of of energy so you know reinvestment you know led in all venues looking at how we can make sure that things are, are turned off and not used when they can be to, to 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 really try and help that focus is going to continue and we hope that actually over the coming years we we will become one of the the most environmentally friendly consumer experiences leisure experiences out there as opposed to something that in the early days was probably one of the worst mm, mm. very impressive and so nice to hear all the the big things and also the sort of marginal gains if you like that are coming through to add to that you've shown us you've told us what's next in the environmental space and what you're continuing to do for team sport but what's next strategically for team sport if you if you look at the next three to five years where, where do you see team sport yeah well i think the electrification piece is is actually really really significant because it, it allows us to do some other really cool and interesting things with that core product so on our electric carts now you know, one, one example is that we have a we have a boost button so you can effectively now press your boost once a lap and you get three seconds of extra power, a bit like kind of replicating the impact of DRS, the, the drag production system in F1, where you can you, know, you, you can push to pass effectively, which um, you know, is, is a really neat, nice new feature. You can't you can't do that kind of thing on a on a normal internal combustion engine cart. What it's also meant is that we've been able to develop with a partner the first gamification experience of karting, which you can pick up bonuses uh, that mean you get a you get a credit that you can use uh, which could boost your cart and make it go quicker but also you can shoot the cart in front of you and, and make it slow down uh, you can drop a, a bomb behind you so that the next cart that comes past that part of the track slows down you can you know, send a grenade up and and hits that whoever's in first place and slows them down so it's a, a really neat fun kind of gamification of that karting experience that means in order to win playing that yeah the combat karts game you don't need to be brilliant at karting you need to play the game which we think will kind of you know first couple of sites we've rolled this product into feedback has been tremendous we think it'll open up karting to a perhaps a different market that 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 haven't been a karting before or, or aren't particularly quick and then perhaps haven't uh, chosen to uh, race as regularly as as some others so that's kind of terrifically exciting the other things we're doing, yeah, we're, we're, we're making further reinvestments across sites in the UK with you know, further um, ancillary leisure experiences and other things that go in, going in alongside the karting experience and, and kind of repurposing some of our venues. They're typically really big venues that we haven't always used the spaces as, as, in the best way that we can. And the other thing which is really kind of clearly very exciting is this expansion of the business into, into mainland Europe. 
So we've got two sites in in Germany now. Uh, we're building a, a a new site in Holland, which is which is fantastically exciting. And I know that we've got a a really really strong pipeline of of new site opportunities that that should mean that we'll be at you know six eight sites within the next kind of twelve months in mainland Europe. And that's terrifically exciting for the business and really shows the you know, hopefully demonstrates the growth potential of of of, of team sport you know outside of the UK. A really exciting future. So three quick fire questions to end on. Are you up for that? Go for it. Okay. Which leaders have inspired you and why? I've always resisted the temptation to kind of look at people like you know, people talk about Steve Jobs and mm. Richard Branson and, and you get these these examples that people they hold up these people that kind of I think they're unicorns. You know, they, these are just that they are one-offs that you can't can't necessarily be replicated and and also those those stories can't necessarily be replicated so you for me the most relevant one that the person who had the biggest impact on on me and my career was Paul um who who founded the business um you know brilliantly had 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 a great idea but also you know had had the, the the courage if you like to take somebody who was pretty young pretty inexperienced and, and give me the opportunity to uh, you demonstrate to him that yeah I, I could help grow the business scale it up and, and and take it on and I learned so much from Paul you know, in those kind of first 10 years of the, that we worked together so yeah for me that he, he would be the he would be the one that I would say had the had the biggest impact and was the biggest inspiration for me work, working alongside him and, and that was the thing that made the biggest difference great number two what gives you energy and what takes it away <laughs> What takes it away? I have kind of a, a term I, 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 I'm sure I stole from somebody around kind of mood hoovers. I thrive off being around kind of positive people who have a real kind of can-do attitude and, and mindset as opposed to, and you, you, all have, you all have met plenty of them, those people that they kind of just, they, they suck the energy out of the room. They just want, however brilliant an idea might be or you know, how, however exciting something, or they're, they're, the prob- they're the person that can easily identify the problem with something, right? And um, whilst, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely a role for, for people to kind of act as the devil's advocate and, and you know, sense check things, it shouldn't always be the same person. <laughs> and um, certainly you know, that people who don't have you know, that drive, that positivity, that, that ambition kind of find, find quite, quite difficult. And I guess yeah, the, the 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 easy opposite of that of if of people who have that that, that brilliant can do attitude, and you, again, you know them when you meet them. They just have a kind of a real energy and enthusiasm about uh, about things, and that can yeah, that can do attitude. I try as much as possible to surround myself in 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 work, but also in my in my kind of personal life with 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 people who have that kind of the, that that drive and passion, and it's contagious. Yeah. Absolutely, completely. So final final quick fire. Let's imagine there's a young entrepreneur, they're in the mid-20s, just about to set up a business. Maybe it's been going for a year. What are the three biggest bits of advice you'd give them to start that journey from your experience? Well, I'd say firstly, do it. <laughs> be bold, be brave and take that leap and, and back yourself. Have belief in your ability and the confidence to kind of say yes and 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 do things i think also find a mentor mm-hmm. find find somebody who you know, can help you avoid some of those pitfalls who's who's been there who, who who's done it and that you can learn from and can help you on that journey because it it can be a lonely place 
because everybody in the business looks to you and feel quite uncomfortable if you say, I, I really don't know. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't got all the answers. Kind of incidentally, coming back to what you first talked about around how do you grow a business, saying to people when they come and ask you questions, I, I don't know, what do you think, is absolutely the best thing that you can do to try and empower people and everything else. But I, I think there's there's definitely something on kind of having courage, backing yourself, going for it, but also finding that mentor, finding somebody that you can work with and learn from their experience. And I think the third one, seeing as you asked for three, I suppose I better give you three, would, would be around having an attitude to constantly learn, learn, develop, grow, and have that kind of self-awareness that you, you don't have all the answers, you don't know everything. But if you have the mentality that you will, you're, you're constantly going to read and learn, and, and I, I think that will set you in a, in, in, a, in a great position to be successful and, 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 and grow that business. Lovely answer. Thanks. Thanks for your time today coming on the podcast. That's obviously goes without question. But also, it's been a great privilege to watch you grow this business over the time I've known you and to see your your energy come through, you know, having been there since 2002 is lovely to see and to experience. So keep on the good work, Dom. And thanks for coming on the podcast. Now, well, look, thank you, Ian, and, and thank you for the kind of the significant role you've played in, in the journey of team sport, kind of becoming what it is today, and and what I I'm, I'm hopeful will continue to kind of work on and achieve going forward. And yeah, it, it, I'm very honoured to be asked to do it. It's been it's been lovely talking to you on the podcast. So thank you very much for the invite. Thank you.